Man, praise the Lord. Man, uh, if you're a guest this morning, we're so thankful that you're here worshiping with us. I, I trust you're sensing the presence of God. He's in this room right now, and those things you feel and you sense, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and he's trying to get your attention and get a hold of us. And it's not just you, it's all of us, amen? Aren't you glad that the Lord speaks to our lives? He's such a good God. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I just, just so you can stop praying, we bought a house yesterday. So I guess you can keep praying that everything goes smooth. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're really grateful and you feel just ridiculously blessed by the Lord uh, to be able to uh, buy this house that we're getting. It's on the east side because somebody will want to know, well, where is it? Well, it's on the east side, and I have no idea how to tell you where. But I know it's that, it's, uh, that way? That way. All right. <laughs> Someday I'll tell you. <laughs> I figure out where I am, right? Uh, I am directionally challenged. I'm the guy who gets lost in hospitals and malls. That's me. Uh, I can drive to California without looking at a map, but I can't get out of a mall. Okay. And some kids are like, what's a mall? We don't even have those anymore. Hey, next Sunday, um, we've been here. It's, it's been Easter season, so my two Sundays here have been Easter season. But next Sunday, uh, we're going to start a new series that's going to run until June uh, called First Things First. And I just want to talk to you about what's in my heart and what I, th I think God wants us to do in our church, what kind of church uh, we want to be. We're already so far down that road of the things that I, that I have sensed. And it's one of the reasons Amy and I really wanted to come here. We felt such a connection, uh, no pun intended, maybe pun intended, uh, to this church uh, as well as just the things that have been in our heart. So I just wanted to spend a few weeks and just share with you what that looks like to me and and uh, just give you a glimpse into our spirit and our heart uh, in, in that way. How many of you know Candidating Weekend? Just not long enough to figure out what's in somebody's heart, right? So I just want to spend some time. And then in the summer, if you're ditching us in the summer, you're going to miss a phenomenal series. We're going to study the book of James together over the summer. And uh, the Holy Spirit's going to beat the tar out of all of us. And we're, not everyone's excited about that, but... Uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, we're all gonna get saved about every other week, and, uh, and and Lord's gonna help us. But it's gonna be a great study in the book of James. So I'm excited to jump into that with you, and uh, look forward to that here coming up in the next few months. So you college students, we love. I'm sure some of you will go home to other domains. Is that accurate? Yeah, we will miss you. So join us online, and you can partake. It'll be great, and we look forward to having you back next fall. Praise the Lord. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and I just want to, uh, we're going to talk about how Jesus changes everything today, uh, but what I want to talk about first is just, just the simplicity of Easter. Why, why is Easter simple? There's a movie that I watched uh, this week called uh, Church People, I think. Anybody watch Church People? It's an awful movie. Uh, it's about this pastor who's uh, a little bit you know, he's a little enamored with himself and excited about who he is. And so he decides that they need something spectacular on Easter Sunday to bring in the crowds, that, you know, the people will come. So he gets this idea in his head that he's going to physically and literally crucify someone. That's a horrible idea. <laughs> but he thinks it's a great idea, and in his mind, the board's on board, the, uh, the staff is, our board would never approve things like that. I just want you to know. 
but the staff's on board. I mean, everybody's, ex- even the insurance guy is on board. Like, that's ridiculous, right? So it's a movie, right? So, so he's all excited, and he's got, uh, you know, he, he believes that he needs something spectacular or something extraordinary to draw people to Easter, to Easter Sunday. And I would say that's a fairly prominent belief in America today, all over the country uh, today. There are churches doing massive dramas and, and cantatas. Does there, do we still do cantatas? Everybody ever, do you even know what that word is, right? Uh, we do, you know, all kinds of things happening all over the country to try to attract Americans, Westerners, to come and hear the gospel, right? I just happen to believe that the gospel, a resurrected Jesus, is enough of an attraction for the world to come and respond to the things of God. Jesus is enough. So let me set the expectations for you for this message. I am not going to try to impress you with an incredible Easter sermon. I know you're disappointed now, right? Everybody's like, why did I come today? I'm not going to try to give you the Greek and Hebrew words and their hidden meanings. I'm not going to try to create some weird roundabout conspiracy theory about what really happened in the resurrection and what Jesus is doing today. I'm not going to try to astonish you with my ability to communicate and relate scripture to your everyday life. How many of you are disappointed? I just want to tell you the truth this morning. I just want to be simple because the gospel, the power of the gospel, the power of the resurrection is not complex. It is not complicated. It is not something that we have to strive to find and understand. But the gospel of Jesus is simple. Jim already, Pastor Jim already said it today. If you just believe in Jesus, that he gave his life for your sins and he rose from the dead, you shall be saved. It doesn't take complexity. It doesn't take anything spectacular for us to understand it. I want you to know that it doesn't take gimmicks, and I'm not really into gimmicks. Salvation really is free. Coming to Jesus is not difficult. And when you do come to Jesus, I just want you to know Jesus changes everything. Nothing stays the same. Here's what's undeniable to me. Jesus was a real person. Jesus walked the earth and he healed people and he uh, taught a lot of great things and he told us how to live and he told us what to do. There's plenty of biblical evidence, but there's extra biblical evidence that Jesus existed in the world. All kinds of things. I'm not going to tell you those today because it's not astonishing service. Jesus' life for sure impacted an entire nation of people while he lived on the earth. No one could ignore it. The Romans couldn't ignore him. The Jews couldn't ignore him. No one in that world could ignore him. He was something else. Jesus was for sure crucified and buried in a tomb. Pastor Jim saw the tomb. He let us know it was empty. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Jesus is reported to have been raised from the dead. The apostles saw him, and we have eyewitness testimony. Over 500 saw him at one time alive and teaching and sharing. Who knows how many saw him as he ascended into heaven? The dudes who walked with him to Emmaus. I said dudes. That's like a relevant term. The dudes who walked with Jesus to Emmaus recognized the resurrected Jesus as he broke bread and grilled fish with them. There's enough eyewitness testimony of a resurrected Jesus 
to convince any jury. The impact of Jesus on our time and culture spans nations and peoples. It it crosses socioeconomic things. It crosses genders. It crosses races. It crosses generations. It crosses every kind of barrier or bridge you could imagine. He's crossed it for 2,000 years. It's incredible and far-reaching the impact Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has had on the world. And here's the thing. Jesus lived a nice life. He taught some great things, preached some great sermons. He healed some people. He raised the dead. I mean, Jesus was an incredible, incredible figure in our historical record, and he died. But if he had never rose from the dead, then he's just your average run-of-the-day prophet. He's just your average guy who walked the earth and did some nice things. The difference between Jesus and every prophet in the Bible and every prophet in any other religion is that he died, but he rose from the dead. It's that simple. And and guys, that's the simplicity of the whole thing. It's just easy to understand. If Christianity means anything, it's not in the death of Jesus. It's in the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead, and when he rises from the dead and we respond to him, he changes everything. What's the evidence that Jesus changes things? What is the evidence that he rose from the dead? How can we prove to others and to ourselves that Jesus rose from the dead? It's, it's, once again, it's simple. I'm going to knock your socks off with this theological truth. Here it is. Before I met Jesus, I used to be. I was a drunkard, I was a sinner, I was addicted, I was broken, my marriage was a mess. Whatever you were, how many of you remember what you were before you met Jesus? Only like half of you. How many of you remember what you were? Like I hope you remember here. Do you remember what your life was like before you met Christ? Do you remember the lostness and the depravity and the aimlessness? But then you met Jesus. You may have met him in an altar. You may have met him through a friend. You may have met him through a coworker. You may have met him through your family. You may have met him through your parents. You may have met him through your grandparents or aunt and uncle. You may have met Jesus at a church randomly that you wandered into and didn't know anybody. You may have met him on your own in a hotel room. I don't care where you met him. Then you met Jesus. And now, since I met Jesus, my life is restored strengthened, pure, righteous. Oh, I'm a knothead. I do stupid stuff, man, but the blood of Jesus and the power of God covers the sin in my life, right? Um, How many of you are different since you met Jesus? That's the greatest evidence of the resurrection because without, look, we're not a self-help thing. We're not a self-help religion. How many of you know with self-help you can only help yourself so far? Because you're actually not that smart. You're actually not that talented, right? You can't do some of the miraculous things that Jesus has done in your life since you met him. You had no power to do it. You know how we know? Because if you did, you'd have done it before. It took Jesus to transform your life. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. And your life before him and your life after him should be remarkably different. And let me say this to you, friends. If it's not that different, you may not have met the real Jesus yet. 
If it's not that different, if you're still fumbling around with the same things you've always fumbled around with, if you're still dealing with the same brokenness and the same cycles of brokenness in your family and in your life and poverty, all these things, if you're still working through that stuff and dealing with that, you may not have met the real Jesus yet. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes there's a season that we go through as we work through those things. But Jesus changes everything. He transforms us. I have a few examples for you just to share. Well, let me read. Uh, I know I have you in 1 Timothy, and I'll get there eventually, but <laughs> Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. In another place, he says, It's not the sick or that's not the well who need a doctor, but the sick I've come to bring life to those that were sick and broken. He came for not heads like you and me. Aren't you glad for that? Some of you are like, I'm not a knothead. Yes, you are. Because <laughs> we all are. God has the power to change lives. It's what saving sinners is all about. I think of a guy named Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic monk, saved when he realized that grace was free and not something we could buy or earn or achieve. I think of my hero, one of my heroes, St. Patrick, who was stolen into slavery by Irish pirates and lived for several years in Ireland as a slave, but escaped back home, became a, a believer, was saved, and went back to Ireland to share with his captors how Jesus changes everything. It was said of Martin Luther that when, before St. Patrick came to Ireland, Ireland was all pagan, but when he left or when he died, Ireland was all Christian. I think of a guy named John Newton. You and I know him as the man who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Why could he write that? Because he understood the grace of God and its power because as a slave trader, as a broken man who enslaved people, an evil, wicked thing, he met Jesus one night in a storm and gave his heart to Christ and penned Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. I think of Billy Sunday, going way back, who was a drunken baseball player who, began, who, who met Jesus, that wandered into a tent meeting in the 1920s and met Jesus and became a great evangelist who reached over 300,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or Nikki Cruz, a gang leader on the streets of New York. Or even Mariana Rivera, New York Yankees legendary pitcher. Now, today, because he met Jesus, is a church planter in Mexico and a church planter in the Dominican Republic. And he plants churches and gives away money and advances the kingdom of God with his own fortune. Why? He's also assemblies of God. That's not why. But I was at a meeting uh, where he was sharing and he's talking about, you know, I've had the big houses. He probably still has a big house. I mean, I've had the big houses. I've had the Rolls Royces. I've had all those things. And they don't change anybody's trajectory of eternity. He said, so I sold them all. And I gave away money so that orphans could have a home. So that lost people in Panama could find Christ. I gave it all away. I sold it all. I'd rather do that than drive around in a car. Why? Because Jesus changed him. Jesus radically altered his life for the kingdom. We don't have to look only at extra biblical, but in the Bible, there's a demonized Mary Magdalene 
who was a prostitute, somebody that uh, the, the society would have cast away, that Jesus met her and transformed her life. I think of Zacchaeus and Matthew, tax collectors that the entire world hated. And if you've ever watched The Chosen, you know why. I think of Nicodemus, a self-righteous religious man who, who met Jesus in the dark of night to ask him about salvation and became the one who took him off the cross and put him in the tomb. I think of the thief on the cross that cried out to Jesus, today, if you come into your kingdom, remember me. First person to be saved through the blood of Jesus, in my humble, untheological opinion. We could go on and on about men and women across, across the centuries, ravaged by sin, corrupted by culture, given to their own fleshly lusts, saved by God, transformed by God, and the power of the resurrected Christ in their life. I think we could go on and on. Have I convinced you yet that Jesus changes everything? He changes our lives, but none more powerful than the Apostle Paul. We come to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, at the end of his life, is writing to his son in the gospel, and he says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful and appointed me to his service. Verse 13 is really the kicker. It's his before picture. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. See, Paul didn't have a great start. He started out as Saul, a Jewish zealot who really wanted to destroy this, this new religion of Christianity. He wanted to wipe it out because it was contradictory to the Jewish way of life. And, and he became, if you will, in the name of God, he became a murderer. He became a blasphemer. He became a hater of anyone who was not like him. He was selfish and arrogant and thought he had all the answers for the world. It's likely that on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, Saul, the Pharisee, was in the room. He says at the end of verse 13 that it was in ignorance and unbelief that he did these things. You know, I like it in his life. We see sort of a progression of Saul slash Paul. He says early in his ministry, after he's come to Christ, he's like, guys, I just want you to know I am the least of all the apostles. I mean, all the other apostles are better than me, but then there's me, right? I'm pretty good, and, but I'm not as good as them, but I'm pretty good. And then later on in his life, he says, no, it's not really that good. I'm just really the least of all God's people. He gets a little more humble. But by the end of his life, he says a phrase like this. He says, I just want you to know I'm the least of all the sinners. So I just want you to know there's no sinner in the world that's ever lived or ever will live that was worse than me because I was a murderer and I was a blasphemer and I was whatever, fill in the blank, to what Paul was. And here's the thing about it. It's so interesting to me that when Paul says that to the church, nobody argues with him. Nobody goes, nah, Paul, you're not that bad. Nobody says, hey, I know Paul said some nice things to you, and I know he said that he was the worst of sinners, but Paul's better than that. It's okay. He, it's just spiritual hyperbole. He's just trying to help you know, people understand whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, nobody argues with him. We have no footnote in the Bible. We have no, no gospel writer. We have no epistle writer who writes and says that's not really the truth. In fact, not even the Holy Spirit argued with Paul. I think the Holy Spirit kind of went, eh. 
But then he met a resurrected Jesus. And this is the power of the gospel. In Acts chapter 9 and a couple other places, he's on the road to Damascus to murder and throw in prison and destroy the things that God was doing. And he meets Jesus. He meets this, this guy. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What are you doing, man? I've called you to something greater. And it begins to unfold for Saul all the great plans that Jesus had for his life. And Saul gives his heart to the Lord. And, you know, the rest is history. He writes a third of the New Testament. He writes epistle after epistle from prison, by the way, and gives his life to the Lord. And, and, and for the rest of his life, in fact, God even changes, changed his name. Not just his life, but his name. And it kind of makes you wonder, you look at a guy like Saul, I mean, he, like, you think about the person in your life that you know who is the most messed up of anybody you know, that was Saul. And a lot of times as believers, or even in our own life, if we're that guy, we go, I, I, I can't be saved, I'm so far beyond, God can't reach me, God can't train, change my life. He can change lots of other nice people's lives, but he can't change my life. I'm far too gone. Some of you may think that this morning. But the truth is, well, let's hear it from Paul, 1 Timothy, verse 16. But for that very reason, because I was the worst of sinners, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example to, for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying, guys, if God, if Jesus can change my life, if he can transform my life, if he can take the worst of sinners and make them the best of Christians, what can he do with you? What can he do with a man or a woman or a teenager surrendered to the will of God? If he can do that with Saul, Paul, what can he do with you? He still changes everything. I like Jeremiah verse 30, or chapter 32, verse 27. He says, I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. I love that because so often we think of the Old Testament God as the God of the Jews, don't we? But God does not see him the God of one people. He sees himself as the God of everyone. And he says, I am the God of all the peoples of the world. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything that I cannot do? Paul writes in Ephesians 3, and Paul knew it. He understood God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around. Not by being a dictator, but by working in us through his spirit deeply and gently. But pastor, you don't know what it's like to be addicted. Pastor, you don't know what it's like to walk a mile in my shoes. Pastor, you don't know how much I've prayed and how hard I've tried Pastor, you don't know. You know what? You're right. I don't know. I'd never pretend to know what it's like to walk in your life and in your shoes. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know the God of impossible. I know the God who takes broken things and puts them back together. I know the God who redeems 
what man and what the enemy of our souls has worked so hard to destroy. And I know that Jesus changes everything for anyone who would believe. In June of 2015, my family and I were in Poland trying to finalize an adoption of four of our kids. If you didn't know, four of our kids are adopted from Poland. One day, uh, as June 19th, we call it our gotcha day, and June 19th, we, Amy and I were standing in court. We went to Polish court. That was fun. And we're listening to the judge talk to us, and there's a jury. There's actually a jury. And we're like, these people are about to decide if we can take these children home with us. And so we do our interview, and they ask us questions, and they made weird looks at us when we answered some things because they didn't understand some ways of life and whatever. Like the look they gave us when we said we homeschooled was something else. They let us go out of the courtroom, and we're sitting out with our translator. We're like, okay, what's, going, what's happening now? And she's like, well, right now they're making the decision. And so we're like, okay, a year's work, $50,000 comes down to this moment. We go back into the courtroom, and the judge asks, asks us to stand. And they're going to read their decision. They're going to read their decree. And they began to read, you know, legal stuff, and the translators translating as we go and just kind of helping us because they're speaking Polish, of course, and I don't speak Polish. Dobre, that's all I got. That's all I got. And they get to the part where, well, finally they go, uh, and we, we are proving the adoption. And it's like, woo, okay, good, oh, good. But then they did something that caught me off guard. And they said this. They said, Kinga Veronica Zakevich will forever now be known as Abigail Kinga Carlson, daughter of Jeff and Amy Carlson, granddaughter Paul and Cheryl Carlson and Al and Jackie Templeton, great-granddaughter. Here's why that's powerful. Not only can Jesus change your life, he changes your family tree. And I started crying in that moment. I mean, I'm overwhelmed with emotion as they changed my children's names and then changed their heritage. Whew. Friends, when you come to Jesus, I don't care what's held on from your family of origin. I don't care what's held on from your past. I don't care what's held on from your parents and your dad didn't hug you enough and all these things that, that happened to us and some, some much worse than that. When you come to Jesus, he rewrites your story. He rewrites your history. He changes you. He adopts you into the family of God. And when you stand before him, he says, you are Jeff Carlson. You are a son of God the Father. You are a brother of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is in the family line, but <laughs> he changes everything as he adopts us into his family. even your family tree. It begins with two things. Worship team, if you want to come, that'd be great. Romans chapter 10. What does it say? Paul says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the word of faith that we're proclaiming, that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. My friends, it's simple, isn't it? It's not complicated, it's not robust, it's not complex, it's simple. If you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are Lord, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, and everything changes. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you confess and are saved. It is just as the scripture has said, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Here's the good news. There's no difference between Jew or Greek. Why is that important to us? We're like, well, I'm not Jewish and I'm not a Greek. Right, but you're something. And what he's saying is it doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your, your gender is. And none, of the, none of that matters to God. There is none of that in his kingdom. He just sees people who need him. He just sees people he loves. He just sees people to transform. If you'll confess with your mouth. Not that Jesus was a nice guy who helped a lot of people. Not that he spoke a lot of really powerful things. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is king, that he is sovereign. And you have to believe in your heart. You have to believe beyond doubt. And, and look, I wish we could prove it all physically, but we can't. It's, a, it's an act of faith, isn't it? It's a decision to believe. It's a choosing to believe. But if you'll confess and you'll believe, you'll be saved. You'll be saved from darkness. You'll be saved from your past. You'll be saved from your sins. You'll be saved from all the things that the enemy has tried to put in your life to destroy you. You'll be saved. You'll be saved from condemnation. You'll be saved from an eternity apart from God. But I believe this, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you'll also be healed. I believe there's healing in the atonement. I believe there's freedom in the atonement. Those of you here that love God, but you've had life-controlling things or addictions in your life, today you can be free. I believe that we will inherit hope. It's the hope of glory. I believe that when you confess and believe, you inherit the kingdom of God. And I believe that when you confess and believe, you become a son or a daughter of the king with all the rights and privileges thereof. Anybody can be saved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Jesus, I thank you that you change everything. That when we respond simply, to a simple message of hope in life that everything changes. So Lord, right now I know across this room there may be folks that are sitting here who desperately need you to change their lives. They're living in brokenness and cycles of brokenness. They're living in sin. They're living in addiction. They're living in things that they cannot seem to get away from. But if today they'll just confess and believe they can be saved. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if I'm talking to you this morning, you'd say, Pastor Jeff, that's me, man. I am lost. I've tried all kinds of things. I've tried to fix it myself. I've tried to 
get counseling. I've tried to read books. I've tried to whatever. I've tried to fill my life with anything I could find that might make me happy, but I have found nothing. And I know that today, even if it's the last thing, today I need to come to Jesus. If I'm talking to you this morning, I don't want to embarrass you. That's not my heart. But if I'm talking to you, would you slip your hand up all over the room? You need to come to Christ this morning. Just I'll, Thank you, sir. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Others, this is not an embarrassing moment. Every believer has, has done this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Others, seven or eight now. Any, any others? Any others? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, sir. I remember the day that that invitation was given to me. Not the time when I was a kid and got saved every Sunday, but when I was about 20 and I responded to a Sunday night altar call just like this one, and I raised my hand and said, I need to give my heart to Jesus Christ. I can't do it my own way anymore. And then the pastor said the worst thing he could have said to me if you raised your hand, I want to invite you to come forward. Nobody likes that part. We think that we'll be embarrassed or that other people will judge us or they'll feel strange about us or whatever. Whatever it is that we trump up in our mind. But I want you to know what it really means in the spiritual realm. It means that you're taking a stand to walk away from where you are and towards a savior who will change your life. It's a spiritual thing, it's a, it's a significant thing to have the guts to not just raise a hand, but to come forward and receive Jesus because there's something about walking away from your life that you've been living. So I wanna do this, I wanna ask everybody in the room if you would to stand. And if you raised your hand this morning it's gonna take guts, it's gonna take courage. But could I ask you to slip out of your seat and meet me right here? Would you just come right here? I wanna pray over you. Our church wants to pray over you. Would you slip out right now? Come on, if you raised your hand, don't wait. Don't wait for somebody else to come. You just make your move right now, come on. Come on, church! Thank you, Lord. 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 It's a significant moment. Hey, if you didn't raise your hand, but you should have, you come on down. You come on down. It's a significant moment, this moment. Because this is the moment where you draw a line in the sand. This is the moment or you say, I used to be like this, but then I met Jesus. And from this day forward, I'm not saying your life will be perfect. I'm not saying there won't be things you've got to work through and situations and issues. I am saying this, you don't have to do that alone anymore. You don't have to fight by yourself anymore. But in this moment, when you receive Jesus, he takes up residence in your heart. And now he fights your battles. 
Now he fights the enemy of your soul. Come on, church, would you stretch your hands towards these few? I'm not really a repeat after me prayer guy. I'm gonna pray over you. Here's what I want you to do. In your own words, your own words, I want you to confess that Jesus is Lord. And I want you to acknowledge that you believe that he's raised from the dead. I want you to tell him anything you wanna tell him. I want you to tell him how you want him to change your life. I want you to tell him all the things, whatever you wanna say to him right now, he's listening. So as I pray, would you pray for yourself right now? Come on, friends. Church, would you pray for these, that God would strengthen them? God, I thank you for this act of faith. This is massive for them. And they're stepping out, God, in a way that they never have before. And God, they're acknowledging that you are Lord. For a long time, they've been Lord over their own life, but today they're saying, God, I need you to be Lord. I can't do this anymore. It's above my pay grade. I want you to be Lord. Lord, they're confessing with their mouth and they're believing in their heart that you, you are raised from the dead. They're receiving faith today. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would deposit faith into their spirit, deposit faith and power and trust into their heart right now to believe you, oh God, for the impossible things. God, that you would speak and whisper life to them. We speak life over you. Where the enemy has declared death over you, we declare life. We declare hope. We declare a power of God like you've never known before will begin to take up residence in your life. And from this day forward, today is the day that is after Christ. Then I met Jesus, and now everything is different. Lord, I pray that addictions would begin to drop off right now. God, that life-controlling things, that mental things would begin to drop off, that the lies we tell ourselves and the lies the enemy has told us would drop off right now. And Lord, we would believe your word for hope and peace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Come on, would you just keep praying for just a moment? God is doing a work right now at this altar and he's not done yet. God, would you just do a great work? Thank you for the power of the gospel at work in this moment. Thank you, Lord. 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 This is Pastor Michael, guys. He's our discipleship pastor. And we have, we just want to give you something, want to put some things in your hands. He has a couple of quick things he wants to share with you. If you're willing, we obviously aren't going to force you, but if you're willing, would you just go with Pastor Michael right through those, that door? There's a room right across the hall. We just want to have a moment, and then you're going to come right back in here, and we're going to do water baptisms in a few minutes. If you want to get baptized and you've never been baptized, and today you need, you need to stand today and be baptized. We've got shorts for you. We've got shirt. We got, you get a whole wardrobe to take home today. Maybe not that far. But we can help you with that. You don't have to do that. But if you want to get baptized, just tell Pastor Michael, and we'll, we'll bring it right back in. Would you, if you would, come on, give him one more hand, would you? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just follow Pastor Michael, if you would, right just that direction. Thank you. Praise the Lord. We're not quite done yet, friends, because here's what I want to do. If you're one of our prayer team people, would you come to the front right now and just, just stand along this, this front stairs? Maybe have our pastoral staff come as well, just in this moment, so we have a few extra folks. Because here's what I want to do. Those of us that are saved and believers today, sometimes there are still things that we need God to help us with. We need deliverance. We need the Lord to transform something in our life. We need miracles to happen. We're going to take about seven or eight minutes right now before we do baptisms. And I, these folks are here to agree with you for miracles. I believe what I think God has said to me all week is if you'll come and express that faith that God wants to meet you and do something significant. So if you need prayer, I know we already had a prayer time, but if you need freedom, you need hope, something else has happened in your life, you need healing. If you need physical healing this morning, you need to come forward because I believe God's gonna heal you. Jesus, draw everyone who would come in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? If you need prayer, come right now. We're going to pray for you. We're going to worship together for just a few moments as we pray. Come on right now.